worship team and our hospitality crew, our prayer team. My goodness sakes, how we are grateful for everybody. Open your Bibles, please, uh, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. All right, I'm going to say this because I can. 10, 10 a.m., that was absolutely horrible. Every church, every service so far has embarrassed you. I'm going to give you another try, though, because we've all, the Lord said we had, you know, there was mercy. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Oh, God be praised. Okay. All right, today we're going to look at verses 15 through 21 together. We are going to go a little bit slower than I thought we might. I thought we only had a couple of weeks left, but we've got probably three, but that's okay. And then I'm going to tell you now, here we are live. It's already, it's already out there. It's on the, it's on the interwebs already. So um, after Ephesians, we will go into uh, the book of Revelation. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, yep, so we're going to learn, we're going to learn all about, all about Putin, all right, <laughs> oh boy, never gets old, all right, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, here we go, therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. Now, if you're looking to be a literalist, that doesn't mean, oh, good, I can get drunk with Coors. <laughs> uh, the, it's not a prohibition so much against the substance, but against, but, but against the result here, Okay. That's just, you know, don't get drunk with whatever, you know, whatever it is, okay? Uh, for that is dissipation. Now, if that's my, my translation says dissipation, it sounds a little bit like dysentery. And uh, the bottom line is we don't want either one of those. <laughs> Do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's the emphasis. Everybody say that with me. With me? Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, and, pardon me, it always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So, Paul has, in the second half of Ephesians, he's told us, in beginning in chapter 4, to walk worthy of our calling, Amen. right? That's the idea. He emphasized, the, he's told us about our calling, and now to walk worthy of it. So, to walk worthy of our calling, he's told us that we walk in uh, unity with one another. We walk in ministry to one another. We walk this way and not that way. We walk in love. We walk as light. And today we hear this, that in Christ we walk in wisdom. Now, what does that mean? Now, because we hear that, you might hear that. I would... Of course, my first response, just looking at it, in Christ we walk in wisdom, I think, oh, well, that means I'm going to dress in toga and talk like Socrates. <laughs> well, but this is not about philosophy. Paul has something else in mind for us here, walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom, according to this passage and Paul's intent, walk to walk in wisdom means that 
we live, we depend on the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that influence will, Paul anticipates, he exhorts us to anticipate that it will result in an honor orientation of our life, or rather a life that is characterized by worship. A life that is characterized, a life that is, that the Spirit-filled life that, that will result in a life of wisdom, it manifests itself in wisdom, and a, a life that, it's, that, is, that looks for opportunity to do the will of God, that, that is energized, that is fostered and developed in the life of worship. It makes some interesting and uh, powerful invitations. So let's take a look at it. Let's consider what Paul says. So he says, verse 15 through 17, walk in wisdom. Everybody say it with me out loud. Walk in wisdom. So he starts off by saying, look carefully or pay attention to how you walk. Has anybody ever walked or been walking and not been paying attention? It doesn't work out well at all. My, uh, Benjamin used to do this when he was a, a, a little guy. Uh, we'd, we'd go out walking. My parents probably remember this. One time in particular, we were at, uh, we were at the Red Lion before they burned it down or whatever, and, or it got burned down. I'm not, I'm not sure. Whatever. I should have said that. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> But he was walking, and uh, he's just, you know, taking off like he was in charge of everything, and he kept turning around and looking at us like, whoa, yeah, good job. Look at you. You're so big. You know, he's two or whatever. And, uh, and that boy with his giant canogger, his Charlie Brown head, rammed it right into a log, you know, because he wasn't looking where he's walking. So Paul is telling us, hey, pay attention to how we walk, peripateo. Your Bible might say, you know, uh, how, how you live. And the word live there is probably the same word as walk. It's peripateo, probably. And it's, it means this whole, this whole manner of the way you live, we ought to pay attention. And he says, in, in regards to paying attention uh, to how you walk, you should, you should not walk as unwise, but rather as wise. And then the next sentence down there, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's given us a thesis and antithesis here. He's giving us, don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Take delight in pursuing and doing the will of God. In other words... Paul has already, in chapters 4 and 5, he's already gone through a list of ethical challenges for us. He's already told us, hey, listen now, if you're stealing, stop. Right? He says, if you're lying, stop. Right? If He said, you know, don't do this, don't do that, stop living this way, stop doing that. But there's a kind of a shift here to where we understand that being in Christ, following Christ, is, is not just, a, you know, don't do these things. But it is, it, is, it is living in an entirely different direction. It is a shift in the compass of our life. So he says, no, you need to, don't, don't, don't be foolish, but walk in wisdom. You can, don't, 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 uh, don't misunderstand. Don't do things that aren't pleasing to God. Don't be foolish. In other words, not everything is sin. But it can still be stupid. And stupid is not the will of God. Yeah. 
someone just said, write that down. <laughs> if, you, you, if we need to write that down, well, I mean, we should. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> stupid is not the will of God. Oh, that's a revelation. Uh, but then Paul says, redeem the time. Redeem the time. What's Carpe this diem. Seize this day. That wisdom is about uh, redeeming the time. He says, redeem the time for the days of our evil. Be opportunistic. Be optimistic about what? About the will of God. In other words, look for opportunities to do what is pleasing to God. Look for the moments. It, it, so we see, see how the Christian life is, 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 is so far. Yes, there are definite things. Paul says, hey, look, you're a believer now. You're in Christ, so you should not do this, but you should do this. And he gives us concrete examples. But he's going to keep lifting us higher to say, hey, really, being in Christ means living this life of wisdom. And what wisdom looks like is looking for every opportunity you can to do what is pleasing to God. Not just avoiding the stuff we know you shouldn't do, but looking for opportunities to do what's pleasing to God. That's wisdom. That's redeeming the time. That's making the most of every moment. Is what is what is most pleasing to God right now. I'm going to do that. That squeezes the marrow out of life itself. Redeems the time. This is wisdom. How do we live like that? How does that happen? Paul says, for us to live like that, that kind of living requires you and I to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit himself. Live under the influence of the Spirit. He says in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine. Well, as we said, uh, that the instance, it, this is not an anti-wine message. This is not for us to say, well, great. I, then I can, you know, then I can go ahead and do so with Coors or whatever else. But this is, do not, he's, he's, a, he's, he's warning us against this idea of, of living in such a way there of, of intoxication. And they knew it. They were a part of a culture. They, they, they had a wine temple and a wine God. And the stuff that went in, in that went on in there was dissipation or debauchery or excess. He says that that kind of living, living under that kind of influence leads to excess. And the word, the, 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 the Greek there is, is interesting. I hadn't, you know, talked about it much or looked at it much, but it's a compound word. And, it's, and that word excess or debauchery or dissipation is simply the phrase not sozo. Sozo is our word for salvation. He said, don't live, don't live, don't, get, don't give yourself over to drunkenness. That leads to a life that doesn't look like you're saved. That's a non-saved way. That, is, that, is, that doesn't look like, smell like, act like, talk like folks who are in Christ. And if that's true, then we need to recognize that you don't necessarily need booze to live that way. We can, there are other things that can intoxicate us into living an, an unsaved way. So we should also understand that we should, not, we should not get drunk on the frenzies of this life or the fads of this life or the, the vain and empty ravings of a carnal culture. Those kinds of things are just as intoxicating and they lead to just as much destruction. But instead, somebody say instead, this is the point, instead of that, 
be filled with the Spirit. And, the, and it's probably easy for us, a, a, a primarily charismatic crowd, we hear, be filled with the Spirit. We say, woo, we, there's a fast amen to that. But friends, let's not get too, um, let's not let, our, let, a, let a fast amen uh, cause us to forfeit the weight and the wonder of that statement. The fact that he's telling us that it's a command, be filled with the Spirit, tells us that it's not just, it's not just possible, it's expected. It's God's idea. Whoa. So it's God's idea, God's absolute preference and expectation that we be filled with the Spirit. Playgroup, filled, absolutely overwhelmingly filled up with God, the Spirit of God himself. Not, some, not just something or someone that I am aware of or I reference to as a doctrine. So the Holy Spirit is not a, just a doctrine. He's not a denomination. He's not a style of worship. But God's design and desire is to give us His Spirit in such a way that He literally fills our life. And this word fill is not just limited to like filling a container, but it has to do with having total influence over what it fills, characterizing, defining, influencing that which it fills. Paul is telling us here that we are to recognize the Holy Spirit's lordship in our life, to recognize his right to rule in us. We should be intentional, even devotional, about welcoming his influence. We need to understand and appreciate that the Holy Spirit is to be in our life a gracious, governing influence. The Spirit of God intends to have a direct and divine influence in and upon your life. How and why? What, and what does that have to do with wisdom? Well, Paul tells us that here, in this context, that the Spirit-filled life, the life that is lived under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit, is first expressed and characterized and really energized and fostered. It's first expressed, it's first characterized by a life of worship. Here, to be filled with the Spirit is primarily or initially characterized by a life of worship. Be filled with the Spirit. And this life of worship is key to wisdom. Now, in case you think, well, I don't know how to, I didn't know the connection there. Remember, this has always been the case. That, the, that the, the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, Proverbs and elsewhere, it tells us what is the beginning of knowledge? What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. It is our reverential attitude toward God that is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom begins with this desire to do what is pleasing to God. That's the beginning of wisdom. And this desire to do what is pleasing to God is 
fostered in is developed by a life of worship. A life of worship trains our hearts, our minds, our attitudes to think and act in terms of what is pleasing to God. He says, be filled with the Spirit, and then he gives us four, four ING words. Let's just put them all up there. Speaking, singing, giving, and submitting. Now, here's a little fun with grammar. Does anybody want to have any fun with grammar? Okay. <laughs> fun with grammar. So, uh, in the Greek syntax, the participles, which are the ING words, participles in a sentence are always, always have some kind of connection to the main verb. So you have the main verb, and then the participle is something that happens uh, either after the main verb or during or before it. And in this sentence, all of these participles, the way that they are, their declension uh, makes them uh, something that all of these are happening at the same time as the main verb. So, so be filled with the Spirit, that's the main verb. Be filled, someone say be filled. That's the main verb. And then so, so concurrently, happening at the same time, so, so synonymous with being filled, happening at the same time, energizing, enabling, welcoming that act of being filled is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and submitting to one another. This is that life of worship that fosters the fullness of the Spirit. What does that mean? Speaking, singing, giving, submitting. Well, it sort of makes sense all by itself. doesn't need a whole lot of explanation, but let's let, it, let's let it weigh on us just a minute. The first thing he says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. The, one of the first things Paul expects is that the Spirit-filled life is going to influence, it's going to change, it's going to determine what you talk about and, and what you talk like. How you speak will frame and determine your world. And I don't mean that in a metaphysical or a magic sense. But our conversation has everything to do with our attitudes, has everything to do with uh, our behavior. It has everything to do with the, the dynamics between us and other people. And Paul says here that the spirit-filled person, that worship characterizes how we talk to each other. And you might think, well, that sounds silly. But I would walk up somehow, I would stroll up to my bride and say, hello, wife, uh, isn't the Lord good? You know, all that kind of thing. Who talks like that? Wise people. As opposed to, as opposed to the world, then the carnality thereof, this world has been, and it still is, and absolutely filled with friction. The way people talk, what they talk about, how they talk is full of friction. It's full of criticism. It's full of profanity. It's full of harshness. It's full of meanness. It is, it just, it gets, and, and they, they, and the, the worse it gets, the, the, the more they press the boundaries thereof. And then we wonder why there is such foolishness. 
you, you can't talk violently and profanely without the result being a violent and profane culture. First thing it affects is how we talk, what we say. Now, this is true in corporate worship. This is declarative, speaking to one another. We call this like de just declarative, testifying type worship. And we do this corporately. We, so we sort of do it in, on purpose as we gather. Our, our team intentionally does this. Like some, even some of our big, the songs that we often begin with are declarative. In a sense, we're kind of talking to each other. It's unto the Lord, but, you know, but uh, it, we, we sing songs. I, mean, I just was listening to this song, old school song. Let us draw near to the throne of God for mercy and freely come to the throne of God for grace. Well, any song that says let us do something, obviously we're singing it unto the Lord, but we're talking to each other. Right, and so we're 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 speaking in such a way that we are we are we are encouraging one another. We're affecting each other. We're 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 testifying to uh, to the to the goodness of God, and 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 that that happens in a corporate setting, but it must happen by ourselves or with one another. It can't just happen here. It has to happen at home. That how we talk and what we talk like is becomes an expression of worship. The next thing he says is singing. Singing and making music unto the Lord. Well, then you might say, well, he's clearly not talking to me. Ha, ha, ha. You know, I only sing in the shower. Well, maybe you ought to sing more places than that. <laughs> singing, here's the deal. Let's be candid. Singing is spiritual. This is what the text tells us. Singing is spiritual. It is for the Lord, and it is a gift from the Lord, and anyone can do it, and you should. Singing is not for just for microphones, stages, and spotlights. Singing is for the Lord. And singing is absolutely a fundamental part of the Spirit-filled life. It's a gift from God. You if my dad... If you don't know how funny that is, then you don't know. But if my dad is, will sing unto the Lord, then you can. I love it. Look, I, I mean, look it, listen, it, he's, my dad is never going to be on The Voice. I mean, he has a great voice, but not that kind of, it's not going to happen. Ain't nobody going to turn their chair around, never. They're going to go the other way. But, and I'm only using this as an extreme example. You might think, I can't believe he's being so mean to his dad. Oh, my worst mercy. It's a 40-year-old joke. It's fine. Um, <laughs> What, what you need to embrace is this, that singing is not for a platform or a microphone. That you sing unto the Lord, and that is a gift from God, and it's part of the, the way the Holy Spirit wants to foster an awareness and a reverence for and a, and a love for the presence of God in your life. And of course, it is something that we do, singing and making music unto the Lord. That, that reflects our other dynamic we do in worship. We have declarative, you know, worship and then devotional where we have we shift all of our attention and we're not talking to or with each other about the lord anymore but we've just begun to lift up choruses that are entirely godward and again that's wonderful that it should happen here but it needs to happen in your own heart and in your own homes and then he says giving thanks always always and it's that always part right 
If we just kept giving thanks, we could say, no problem, I've done that. Do it once a year whether I need to or not. Right? Oh, giving thanks. Say it again. Giving thanks. Giving thanks always. That means the spirit-filled life is a life of zero pessimism. The spirit-filled, <laughs> that's old school. When they say, ah, the preacher's gone to meddling. Yeah, yeah, that's old school right there. That's some old school stuff. Mark's been around for a minute. Okay. Uh, <laughs> spirit-filled life contains no negativity. Gra gratitude can't be in the same room with that stuff. If, if we're supposed to give thanks that means that, that giving thanks displaces this stuff. Complaining, blasphemy, profanity, all that stuff. Cannot. It is not a result of the Spirit's influence. His influence will be gratitude. So giving, not, and I say gratitude, and I mean that, but it doesn't just say gratitude. It says giving thanks. So it's not just about what you, it's not just content to say, well, I feel grateful. Well, then you should say something. Express that to God. Express that to others. Exercise the giving thanks muscles. The spirit-filled life gives thanks. It gives thanks. And that trains us. The giving of thanks trains our hearts and our minds to look for the goodness of God, to anticipate the goodness of God. And even in times of incredible heartbreak, set back, I don't understand it at all, the, that, that giving of thanks enables me to throw an anchor, not down, but up. It allows me to throw an anchor into what I don't, listen, what I do know is always more important than what I don't know. I mean, I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why this went sideways. I don't know why I experienced this loss, but I'm going to give thanks for what I do know. I do know who God is, and I do it. And then, not only do I, I give thanks for his nature, for his person, I give thanks for his providence. I remember what God has done. See, thanksgiving will not allow me to simply rehearse my disappointments or my heartaches. It doesn't pretend that we don't deny away our pain. Never. But gratitude, the giving of thanks, always, it, 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 it's an act of faith that forces me to reconnect with the goodness of God. Which orients me, it shifts that compass back to, I'm going to look for ways to be pleasing to God. And the fourth one is submitting to one another. <laughs> Submitting to one another. Whoa. Out of, out of reverence for Christ. Well, I put reverence for Christ in my notes. My Bible, I think, says out of fear for, of Christ. This, this, this version that I'm reading just loves to put the more edgy words in there, which is great. But here, here's the deal. What does it mean? To, 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 to the Spirit-filled life then results in a Christ-honoring deference for others. That, that I, I, I treat people... As unto the Lord. That I, I live as Jesus for Jesus. I treat people like they're Jesus. 
Well, that means I certainly can't cut them off. That is just, you might think, well, that's ridiculous. That's foolish. No, it's foolish not to. It is wisdom to, out of, uh, out of reverence for Jesus himself, to treat people like they matter, to give them weight, to honor them. And that's why it's an act of worship, submitting, submitting to one another out of or unto the Lord. All of these things are an act of worship. Now, in the coming two weeks, Paul's going to, he's going to break this down for us more. He's going to show us that submitting to one another out of a fear of Christ happens first in our primary relationships. So he's going to look at our, we're going to look at some of those primary relationships in chapter five and six and see how the spirit-filled life shows honor and deference to one another. But for today, we begin, and we want to land on this. We understand that this spirit-filled life, we rely upon the spirit in order to walk in wisdom. And we cultivate that. We nurture that in a life of worship. So in Christ, we walk in wisdom. So therefore, let us welcome, let us desire, let us seek the Holy Spirit's active prevailing influence upon our life so that we will walk in the wisdom of seeking to do what is pleasing to him. Characterize, develop for us a life of worship. Lord, this is our I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy.
thanks and praise, Lord, for the gift of your spirit. And Lord, help us today, lead us today to yield to and welcome your divine influence in our life by walking in a life of worship as we seek opportunities to do what is pleasing to you. This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Somebody said amen. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep his hand upon you, cause his face to shine upon you. May you walk out of this place under the influence of the Spirit, walking in worship. God bless you. Where you go, we go.